Well, happy Monday evening, everybody. We made it through, like I said earlier. My name is Tracy Carter, and I am the Dean of Community and Wellness. A little bit about me, uh, this is my 10th year at TMI, although I've been involved with this community for about 14 years. Both of my children attended TMI for all seven years, so I've walked in your shoes as a parent, and I'm fortunate now to walk alongside you in the journey with your student. Probably for most of us, our day has been full, and we want you to know how much we appreciate you taking time out of your evening to be with us and learn more about how we challenge our students at TMI. So I wanna welcome you to the first in our three-part series. We are clear in our commitment to challenge, cherish, and know our students, and we care about the whole child. As our mission statement says, we challenge motivated students to develop their full potential. And just like many of us are motivated by different things, our students are no different. Tonight, we're gonna to focus on the challenged com component. And with me this evening, we have Ann Schaefer Salinas. She is our Associate Head of School and Justin Kucherowski, who is our Dean of Innovation. So we are gonna jump right into it. And Ann, over to you. All right, thank you, Tracy. Welcome everybody. We are really excited that y'all are taking some time out of your very busy evenings to hear a little bit more about what's happening here at TMI. So I'm just gonna sort of jump right in. Um, many of you know that we have about 459 students here at TMI. Each of them is unique, but despite their uniqueness, they all do share one thing in common, and that is that they are motivated. What motivates them though can vary, as you all know, with your own children. So some are gonna be motivated by athletics, some are motivated by art, some love great literature or history, others find joy in science and math, and still others are here first and foremost to be part of our core. Some of our students really love to be creative and others have yet to find their creative voice. But if they are a student at TMI, we will find a way to challenge each of them appropriately. And this is uh, where the innovation and design program really comes into play, I think. It's a way for students that might not know where their passions lie to find something that uh, motivates them. With the freedom to explore the arts, uh, sciences, and English, among other disciplines, uh, it's a great springboard into their future. You know, parents, you all have trusted your most valuable possessions to us. We are grateful that you trust us to walk this part of the journey with your children. And we ask that uh, as you trust us to walk the journey, that you will trust us as the educational professionals to make the right choices and challenge them appropriately to become the amazing human beings that each of them was created to be. Now, because every student is unique and because every one of them has goals that surpass TMI, we work really hard to find the right balance for every single child on our campus. Our students are challenged in the classroom, regardless of the courses that they are taking. They are learning to be critical thinkers, agile problem solvers, strong collaborators, empathetic listeners, and confident presenters. Yeah, and not only are our students being challenged, uh, but our teachers are being challenged as well. In the past year, our teachers have had to become agile educators in much the same way uh, as your students uh, have become agile learners. In this way, our teachers are being humanized uh, to our students and showing that we are actually, in fact, 
all in this together. Outside of the classroom, we are challenging our students spiritually with chapel every day, where they are called to hear and respond both to God's word and the speaker's message in a way that makes them and the world around them better. We also challenge our students physically through PE and our sports programs. And we challenge our students as human beings to be on time, to be well-groomed, to meet deadlines, to make good decisions, and to learn to be comfortable being uncomfortable. And that is a place where I think TMI uh, shines. There's a sense of community amongst our student body, uh, amongst our faculty, our staff, and our parents. Uh, there's a comfort, I think, in knowing that your children will be involved in a family outside of their family, uh, a home away from their home, a place to be comfortable and know that they are both loved and respected. We really want to challenge the whole person that comes to campus every day in the form of your children. And so we work to challenge the mind, body, and spirit. Our job as educators here at TMI is to help every student entrusted to us to leave TMI better than when they arrived. And for us, better means more mature, more confident, more capable. And I think we've been making great strides in making sure our students are part of the greater San Antonio community uh, with our service hours and our IND community projects. Our students are learning soft skills and interacting with all kinds of people in this wonderful city. Um, it's not only preparing them for college, it's preparing them for life. Uh, we don't say, you know, wait until you graduated or wait until you're on your own or, uh, you know, wait until you have a family. We say, let's go for it now. You know, why wait? You all send your children here because we're a college prep school. You want your children to dream big. And in this day and age, college is often part of that equation. But just as we have 459 unique students on our campus, there are thousands of unique colleges and university campuses that your children have to choose from. They aren't all going to an Ivy League school because that isn't everyone's path. But every single student that graduates from TMI is going to get accepted to college. That's because we take the time to get to know them, find out what motivates them, help them to build their portfolio and identify the schools that will be the best fit for them. Because there are so many different paths to college, if we are a true college prep institution, we need to provide multiple paths to get our students where they want to go next. So not everybody needs AP courses. Not everybody needs calculus. Not everybody needs to play a varsity sport but everyone does need to learn how to learn. Everyone needs to have a strong moral compass and everyone needs to know how to use their resources wisely. And with the design thinking mindset being on the forefront of our innovative identity, it is essential that our students are exposed to as many disciplines as possible. Um, for example, uh, we have a group of advanced uh, innovation and design students that are helping our beginner innovation and design students to build an irrigation system for Sherry Lim's garden. Um, an initiative that will help the whole campus that incorporates math, biology, history of local ecology, and uh, gives our students a pathway to becoming 
you know, servant leaders. Uh, learning how to use a circular saw is just as important as learning to use a video camera effectively to document the world around them. It's truly creating and molding our students into Renaissance people. And through our programming that is challenging all of our students in multiple ways on multiple levels, we are teaching the whole child both in and out of the classroom, and we are preparing them for their next steps in life. Being a successful learner no longer looks like it did when we were all in school. When we sat in the classrooms, the teacher would be lecturing and it would be punctuated with those reminders of write this down because it'll be on the test. That has been replaced with instructors who present a problem to the students and guide them to arrive at well-founded conclusions. This process of inquiry-based learning is what we as adults face every day in our lives, from child rearing to the boardroom. We don't get the answers before the test. So we're often doing our students a disservice if we are providing them only one possible way to solve a problem or answer a question that we simply expect them to memorize and then regurgitate on the test. The key for us is that they understand how they came to the conclusion and that they can defend or explain their process to others. So as we prepare our students for their next steps, we will continue to ensure that our learning experiences are that we are offering are the most appropriate ones to challenge each of our students, both in the classrooms and out of the classroom, as they grow into their very best selves. Thank you, Anne and Justin. Um, as we were going through, I was, y'all might have seen, I was jotting down some notes. So I, I wanna ask y'all a few questions about things that just um, came to my mind. And also parents, if there's any questions that you would like to ask, if you'll put them into the chat, below and then um, I'll keep an eye on that and, and read them out as they come in. So Anne, you talked about um, kind of at the beginning about teaching our students to be empathetic listeners. Can you like expand on that a little bit? Oh, sure. I am, empathy is really the foundational piece of design thinking. And Justin, I'm sure you'll wanna jump in at some point, so feel free to cut me off. If you can't, see the problem or issue through someone else's eyes, you're not going to be able to understand their need and solve the problem effectively. You know, I was a history teacher first and it was always important to me to not only teach students that there are multiple points of view. In fact, there's a really great book I would use with my students that actually tells the story of the three little pigs from the perspective of the wolf. And it was a great way to get the conversation started to help them to understand that there's always more than one way to look at every situation. And then we would get into the historical events. And it was important to me that we looked at those events through the eyes of the actors at the time. You know, you, you know the saying hindsight is 2020, but when you're in it, you don't have that benefit. So you have to keep in, in mind the importance of understanding time and place and understanding that there are always multiple ways to view and interpret situations. And that I think is the foundation of empathy. You know, we don't always have to agree, but we do need to seek to understand. I don't know if there's anything you wanna to add to that, Justin? Um, yeah, and I, I mean, I think you hit 
the nail on the head with that one. Um, without empathy as the bedrock to our design thinking process or um, what some people call human-centric design, the rest of it kind of falls apart. You know, it's all about the other person. It's all about um, uh, being able to look at a problem, problem uh, from the point of view of the end user, uh, the client, the stakeholders. Um, and uh, I think that's also uh, a pillar of what it means to be, uh, like, you know, we say at TMI, a servant leader. Thanks. Um, and you also talked about the, the whole person, the whole child, you know, in and out of the classroom. Talk a little bit more about mm -hmm. that. That's a word that has been around and certainly is one that um, we embrace. So can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, so schools today are definitely not the institutions that they were designed for during the second industrial revolution in that era schools were supposed to produce factory workers uh widget makers right today we're tasked with doing a much bigger job i think we are forming future leaders of our cities our states our nation our world we are so connected as a society thanks to technology but because of that, I think that our, our task is that much greater because what, what they do here can have ripples far further than anything we ever did when we were in school. So we need to have a space, a safe space really, for our students to develop that allows them to make healthy, safe, wise choices. We need to let them know that they are supported. We need to give them a place where they are going to be engaged in real work that challenges them to think outside the box and to grow as individuals. Just as Justin was talking about earlier, you know, why, why do we wait? They need to be doing the real work now. That's how we're gonna prepare them to be confident leaders and lifelong learners that are going to make a difference no matter where they are. And that's really also why the new Walkerson Innovation Center is so important. I'm sure you would agree with that, Justin. Uh, yeah, maybe just a little bit. Uh, I am kind of biased there, I will admit. Uh, but yeah, the Innovation Center, I mean, it's meant to be a hub of uh, collaboration where the TMI community uh, can come together and solve problems. Um, it's a, I like to say it's a repository of ideas. And uh, although we may have great technology in there, um, you know, we have laser engravers and we have milling machines and we have all these 3D printers. Um, it's really the students and the teachers working together uh, that makes it truly innovative. And Justin, on that, you talked earlier about some innovation and design community projects. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of my favorites uh, is Jay Perry. So he was an eighth grader last year. He's a freshman this year. He was in intro to IND last year. He's in advanced IND this year. So last year um, in IND, uh, our second semester project is a community project. Um, where uh, they have to go out, uh, kind of cold call uh, local businesses, nonprofit organizations, religious organizations, and the like. And uh, Jay actually contacted uh, Goodwill and had the opportunity to bring 300 new jobs to the San Antonio community uh, by helping to build a new call center. And he was involved with the entire process, everything uh, from designing the building to the logistics of it, to the network infrastructure, to the actual construction of the building. And all of this as an eighth grader, a middle schooler. 
that that's kind of exciting to think about, you know, what the what the future is going to look like for him. Was there a connection to Goodwill? Like, did he have, I don't know, a parent or any connection? No. Um, and most of these community projects come out of just kind of cold calling. But um, that's also where, you know, uh, like the theme for today is that's where we challenge them. You know, we challenge them to to put themselves out there, you know, to uh, develop those soft skills like making a professional uh, looking and sounding email. Um, making a professional phone call, you know, uh, challenging them to walk into a boardroom when they've never even seen or probably just kind of heard of what one is and, and sitting down and talking to these professionals and actually making a difference. You know, they're they're learning to, as we said earlier, they're learning to be comfortable being uncomfortable. And uh, to Jay's credit, he, he worked the uncomfortable thing pretty well, I think. That's amazing. I'll let y'all all in on a little secret. I'm challenged when I have to uh, talk and present in a bunch in front of a bunch of people too. So I'm learning to be um, comfortable being uncomfortable. And you um, talked about what motivates our students. Can you know you were like, how do we? You said we find out what that is and how we motivate. I mean, how do we do that? How do we find out what motivates our students? You know, Tracy, I think this is why I really love working in an independent school. And I'm sure this is why many of you parents send your children to schools like TMI. You make the sacrifices that are necessary because it allows them to be in an environment where they do become known. We have the ability through our smaller class sizes, through our advisory program, through our, uh, our dedicated coaches, through the adult leadership of the core, we provide so many different adults that are able to put eyes on your children and connect with them in different ways. And when you give, uh, you give our kids multiple ways to be involved and have lots of different opportunities, both, you know, for example, they can be in athletics and in the core, and they can start a club. Uh, they can be, they can really excel in the classroom, in academics, and be part of our Latin team. You know, there are just so many different ways that our kids can become involved. And so we've got all these different eyes, adult eyes, on, the, on our kids, seeing them in different settings through a variety of different lenses. And that gives us a much more complete picture of who they are and ultimately what motivates them. The other avenue that we have that I think is really pretty awesome is our growing opportunity for student voice and agency through the many leadership opportunities that we provide to the kids here. When they can find an avenue through their voice, whether it's an elected role like student parliament or class leaders, or whether it's a selected role like your wellness board, Tracy, uh, whether it's athletic leadership as a team captain, or clubs, starting a club or being a club leader, we're allowing students the chance to find their voice and to advocate for themselves and for their peers. And that just gives us yet another insight into who they are, what's important to them, what motivates them and allows us to better serve them. And you talked about like this path of where they're gonna go next. And what, what exactly did you mean by that? You know, our kids today, I, I don't think I could have dealt with the college process if I was living, grown up today as a teenager. Uh, those of you that have your students uh, that are juniors and seniors, uh, you, you know what, you're what I'm talking about here. They have got 
so many choices ahead of them. And they need to learn to navigate a world that is much more exciting. It's much more fluid than the one that we all stepped into as young adults. That brings with it added challenges um, and added opportunities. You know, I recently read an article in the New York Times that uh, featured Ravi Kumar, who is from Infosys. I don't know if any of y'all are familiar with that company. And in that article, he states that the youth of today are not only going to change jobs, you know, we all heard the statistics of how many times you would change jobs during your career, but they're also going to actually change professions multiple times in their lives. And that is creating the need for much more agile learners. And that's exactly what we've been talking about this evening. I think that this shifting trend has become really, really evident in what we are seeing with the college admissions process more colleges are shifting to test optional admissions. Some of that has been certainly, uh, I don't wanna say it's been spearheaded, but it's definitely been escalated because of COVID. Uh, more colleges are asking for portfolios as part of their admissions process. And the number of students who are taking gap years by deferring their acceptance a year or taking a year at some point during their actual college uh, career to step away from the classroom has really escalated. There was a, a recent statistic put out by NACAC, which is the National Association of College Admissions Counselors, that shows an increase of 67% of students shifting to a gap year at some point during their college from pre-COVID numbers to now during COVID numbers. That is a huge increase just in the last year. Um, and, you know, let me just say something about gap years for a minute, if I can. I'm just going to share one story because I know for a lot of you, that's something that you're not quite, you're not really super familiar with yet. Um, I had a former student of mine, she graduated from high school two years ago, and she was uh, accepted to Seton Hall University. She committed to Seton Hall and then deferred her admission for a year while she pursued a gap year. And in her gap year, she spent six months in India working with uh, a service organization, doing service throughout multiple, uh, multiple states really in India. She then took three months and went to Germany, lived with a host family and took up German as a third language and is pretty much fluent now in German. And then she took three months traveling through Asia and South America with uh, different family members before heading off to Seton Hall. The experiences that she had during that year between the service that she did, learning a new language, and just traveling and being immersed in multiple cultures are irreplaceable. And they have really given her a whole array of soft skills that are setting her up to move into the field that she is planning to pursue. She is currently at Seton Hall as a, she is studying pre-law, and she wants to become a human rights lawyer for an NGO. So that gap year was actually part of her progress. It was not uh, what we might've thought of, oh, I'm taking a gap year and I'm gonna go just kind of bum around for a year. No, no, she was very intentional in how she worked out her gap year. So our kids today have so many pathways available to them. And I think we as a school need to make sure that we are giving them as many opportunities to learn about those pathways and set themselves up for success now. You know, it's it's kind of funny. I, I tell the kids this, especially the seniors, when they're applying to colleges, and I'll be like, how many are you applying to? And there'll be 
three. And I'm like, yes, or they'll be like six or 12 or 15. And I'm like, oh no. But I joke with them and say, <laughs> I say, when I went to college, I swear to you that I went to the office of admissions at Texas A&M and I like filled out an application with one of those little like golf pencils because they, you know, didn't want to give you a full pencil. I'm not kidding you. I, unless my memory is just really changed, I'm telling you, that's how I applied. And now seeing what our kids do and the skills that they need is like, it's just, it's mind boggling. But anyway, I'm not going to even tell you about my gap here yet. We'll talk about that some other time when I'm not recording this session. <laughs> anyway, hey, Justin, you made a comment about learn to learn. What did you mean about that? Oh, yeah. Um, that one's always kind of a, a tricky one. Um, so just that phrase, learn to learn, um, is... Uh, it's a little bit ambiguous because if you're in middle school, if you're in upper school, then technically you've already learned how to learn. You couldn't get there without learning how to learn. Um, what really I think what we're talking about is like, how do you unlock the hidden potential for someone to actually understand a topic, not just memorize it and then throw it back on a test a week later and then completely forget about it and you, you're not dealing with it again ever. It's something that, um, you know, there is no one right answer to that question, um, but there's a multitude of ways that you can uh, kind of look at it from. So let's say if a student is passionate about a subject, then they will, of course, probably want to learn more about it. Um, I think it's finding those passions and using them to help uh, the academic and personal growth of the student, that's the first step to quote unquote, learning how to learn. Um, the more options we make available to our students, uh, the more chances they have in finding their passions, uh, no matter what the subject. Well, I, I continue to learn to learn, that's for sure. So I'll walk alongside with everyone too. And you talked a little bit about a strong moral compass and, and all of us here, you know, can, you know, has an opinion about what that might be, but can you talk a little bit about that from the TMI side? Yeah, uh, you know, I think in some ways that is probably the most important task that we have as adults who work with youth. Here at TMI, I think it has even an added layer of importance because of what you see every time you drive onto campus. You pass by a sign that says educating servant leaders since 1893. Servant leadership is really at the heart of what we do. It's what we are called to do as a school that is founded on the values of the Episcopal faith. To truly be true to our mission uh, that was placed on the school when it was founded, we have to ensure that our students learn how to interact with their world from a place of care and compassion and empathy. I think it's also critical to ensure that our students understand right from wrong. You can serve others under all sorts of banners for numerous reasons. Again, as a history teacher, how many wars have been started under the guise of religion? If what you're doing is not focused on making the life of the recipient better, similar to what Justin and I were talking about earlier with the ideas of empathy, then you're not doing it for the right reasons. This is why we have a servant leadership component in the sixth grade elective class or the sixth grade special as it's listed on their, uh, their 
schedules. It's why we've introduced an ethics class to the ninth grade. It's why we have daily chapel. Regardless of whatever your religious background is, all of the major faiths are founded upon the principles of doing good. And if we're preparing the next generation of leaders, they need to know what they stand for, even if it isn't popular. They need to have confidence in doing the right thing. That's how we prepare our students to lead with integrity and strength and help ensure that society will be better for their presence. So a strong moral compass is really essential for our students and why we need to do our part in helping them to develop theirs. Thanks. And my last question, and parents don't forget if you, I've, I've had a couple comments, but if you have um, something, a question you wanna add, please feel free to add it in the, in the chat box. But Justin, my last question to you is, you said uh, that you say to your kids and, and overall like, why wait? So what do, what do you mean by that, why wait? I mean, honestly, you shouldn't wait. Uh, I think I, I, I touched on this a little bit earlier, but you know, kids, students, even adults uh, sometimes are constantly being told all the time that they should wait until you've graduated or wait until you're in college or wait until you're out in the, the real world uh, before they can start chasing their dreams. There's really no reason why they should have to wait at all. Not now, not in the digital age, not with, with the resources and the technologies and the amazing TMI faculty to get specific that we have here at our disposal and the greater TMI community as a whole. Our parents are also an amazing resource for our students to use uh, in the, the chasing of those dreams. And I think we should encourage our students to take the initiative and begin working on what they're passionate about now, not later. And even if they do fail, even if they don't get it right the first time, as long as they're learning from that and they're doing what we call, you know, failing forward and they, they're able to take a step in the right direction after that, that's fine. Fail as many times as you want to just learn from it. So I, I'm feeling a little guilty now that when you're saying why wait, that you're kind of saying to me, Tracy, why wait to start exercising? <laughs> Tracy, why wait? Just go put those tennis shoes on. I have a feeling you might be talking to me too. I don't know. Or maybe it's my own guilt, but anyway, I'll try to take that <laughs> to heart. <laughs> well, thank you all so very much for um, how you shared how we here at TMI challenge our students. Um, do we have any questions? Does anybody want to either unmute themselves or put a question in the chat box? Or go make dinner and do the 5,000 other things you still have to do. <laughs> Dawn's shaking her head, yes. <laughs> Um, I think we've got a question, but he's muted. The classic laugh productions. Yeah. Can anybody explain a little more? Uh, uh, I'm Farooq Salad and uh, Muhammad Ramzan. Uh, application side of the, I know you. we heard uh, empathy and uh, learning to learn. Application side uh, of, of uh, education on a daily basis, how students can help on their own, uh, their parents um, doing some chores, um, you know, help neighborhood, uh, things like that. How, how, how is that being uh, incorporated in their studies? Who wants to take that? I guess I can, I can start it off um, just talking from, you know, an innovation and design standpoint and also uh, a lot of collaboration that 
the IND guys are trying to do with the rest of the school and the rest of the departments, you know, bringing in humanities and uh, the arts and the sciences. Um, if, if we're talking about just mechanics on how we operate, um, we operate on the uh, Stanford D School or the Stanford Design School, uh, design thinking, human-centered uh, design approach in the fact that you know, we go through the five phases um, that they uh, that they attribute to a quote unquote successful product, even if it's not actually working at the end of it. So we start out with empathy, empathizing for the client, uh, empathizing for the stakeholder. Then we define the problem that the stakeholder uh, might uh, have, and then we ideate on what we can do to help out the stakeholder with however it is that we can work on that. Um, and then once we, uh, you know, have our ideation phase, we go into prototyping, and that's when you know you actually start getting something that you can either hold in your hand or it's a theoretical thing um, depending on what that person needs always going back to the empathy part right and then at the end we're testing it and all of that happens uh, on in a non-linear way for the most part uh, so you could go to ideation before you could go to definition uh, you could go to prototyping and then figure out it's not right, so you go back to definition. Um, but I think the, the big thing is, for us anyway, is that we always start out or we try to always start out um, with the empathy part of it because I think, you know, being challenged in school um, for a lot of our students means having to put themselves in other people's shoes, having to see uh, how other people operate and doing something to try to make their lives a little bit easier or helping them out in some way. Um, I hope that answered your question, uh, at least a little bit. Yeah, that's what I was uh, actually trying to get a detail. Like, how do they actually do that in their real life? Do they have any kind of access to um, people who's gonna be the ultimate user of design? Um, like the, in real life sense, you know, is there any anything being done uh, to have them in contact with the with the ultimate user of the design or I mean yeah uh, absolutely. Um, so we like to get them uh, kind of accustomed to the idea at the very beginning. So normally this is in the first semester. Uh, they do a thing, a big personal project for the first semester, and it's they have to empathize with themselves. So it's kind of like whatever they think is cool, whatever they think is neat, they make. And I make sure, we make sure that they understand those phases of the design thinking process before we move on to the bigger one, which is our community project. So ultimately that stakeholder um, that they will, you know, kind of uh, be be going to, be talking to on a regular basis, the one that kind of holds the key for their project uh, is going to be someone hopefully out in the community that they've never met before. Um, and that's really their, their first um, sort of taste of the quote unquote real world design thinking process is um, uh, hopefully, you know, someone in an organization that they've they've never spoken to. And do you have anything to add to that one? If not, I have another question. I was just going to add on to that a little bit because beyond the innovation and design classes, they are getting sorts of experiences. Justin is in his second year now as our Dean of Innovation and his next task that he is currently in the process of, of working on is collaborating with teachers in other disciplines to get their kids down into the walker or to get just um, 
the, using the skills better defined within their own classes to help them build lessons and units around this idea of design thinking, because it really is, as Justin was talking about the garden project earlier, this is not something that's just for kids that like to build stuff and hey, play with cool toys. This is a process that works across the curriculum and works in life. And so the more that we can get them to see how it integrates in other content areas, the more, really the more embedded this process is going to be and the more natural it will be for them to just approach life with this process of empathy and define and ideate and prototype and test. And so uh, that I just wanted to add that piece that we we're building this program. So that will be the next phase of it. Um, and that kind of, uh, that's a nice little segue to, uh, we're going to have a parent event. After we finish this three-part series, um, our next event will be actually right before we break for um, the holidays. And it's going to be a tour of the WIC. And it's going to be in person, which I'm super excited about. And what's going to be neat about it, even though we're going to show you the space, it's, um, it's not necessarily going to be just to show you the cool toys that are in there, or the tools, sorry, Justin, um, that, that are there, it's going to have different members of our teaching staff talk about how they're utilizing either the collaboration or the space or how that the collaboration is coming into their classroom. So that's really exciting. Y'all look for that. Um, we're going to have limited space just due to social distancing, and um, there's an RSVP. So that'll be out in, um, in a couple of weeks. You'll see it. There'll be another... Um, email that goes out from about parent education. And um, I have a question here I wanna ask. Um, it says, how will the school be helping the students that need more guidance in finding the passion that they are interested in? Most students will be discovering what they want to do. Most students will still be discovering what they want to do by the time they are seniors. I think I'll, I'll tackle this one first and then Justin, feel free to jump in. I think that again, this comes back to we're a smaller school and we have a lot of different opportunities. Considering we are such a we are such a small school, if you were to put us up against any of the major uh, high schools, you know, like Clark or uh, I'm trying to think of the names like Brandeis or whatever, right? Those are major comprehensive high schools. There are lots and lots of opportunities for their students to try different courses. We still have lots of opportunities as well. Uh, in the middle school, all of the students have to take, they've got a rotation that they do between um, sixth and seventh grade where they've got four, they're doing a semester of theater, a semester of music, a semester of art, a semester of robotics to explore different areas in those fields. And then in eighth grade, they can sort of choose a, a major if you want, uh, in eighth grade for an elective where they can do a whole year or they can all they can still do a, a couple semesters if they want so they could do a full year of innovation and design or they could do a semester of innovation and design and pair it with something else at the high school level we again we require them they have to take eight semesters of elective classes towards graduation and they've got electives across the disciplines. So they have lots of different opportunities. And again, hopefully they're finding those adults. Uh, I think, and Tracy, I might let you speak a little bit with uh, regards to the, the team that you oversee, because I think that also plays a role in helping kids to find a little bit more of their passion and find 
their direction as we have other adults helping to, to guide them and keep an eye on them. And so the goal being that by the time they graduate, they've at least had a number of experiences and they think, ooh, I took that one semester of psych and I think I might wanna take more in college. Or you know what? I stuck with Spanish or Latin for four years because I found I really enjoyed learning languages. And I want to continue doing that in college, and maybe I can work that into something, some sort of a job. Or I had all these cool experiences over in the Walker, and I ended up going after school and badging out on additional uh, machines. And I was mentoring, even though I wasn't taking a class. I found ways to be involved in the the class or in the process. So I, I think that we we try to provide so many different opportunities for our students because you're right, it, it is going to take them a while to figure out what their passion is. So at this stage, I think it's really about introducing them to different opportunities that they can explore and hopefully find something they're excited to get out of bed and come to school for. They may not be excited for all of their classes, but hopefully they'll be excited for at least two of them um, to want to get out of out of bed and, and come, to, come to school. And again, Tracy, I don't know if you want to address anything about the the support team and how they're looking out for the kids or if you want to save that? Yeah, I, I guess what I would say is on the, um, my team is the wellness and student support and it's, you know, it's our counselor, it's our nurse, it is our learning specialist, it is um, our deans and we all work together uh, to keep an eye on and, and get to know the kids like, like all the teachers do. But uh, many of those that I mentioned we don't teach full time. So that gives us another opportunity. And I think, and even what you were talking about, I can remember kids who have taken, like, for example, Lisa, our, our counselor, she usually teaches just like one class, maybe two every year. And um, it, it's funny, because I can't tell you how, how many kids, even from the last 10 years who are like, I took her class, and now I want to go into psychology, or I want to be a psychiatrist, or I want to study the brain. I mean, so it's, it's really cool when you see kids that um, took a class for one reason or the other, and they come out with something like that. Kids who have um, hung around with Stacy and uh, Diane down, our, our trainer, and now they're saying, you know, I want to go into physical therapy or I want to study um, um, orthopedics or something like that. So I think it's really cool. Um, you know, kids are still learning. Kids, kids are, are testing the waters. For me, it's exciting to watch, again, as a parent of graduates, but it's it's exciting for me to see um, how many more opportunities there are available. And there was a ton when my kids were here, but it just keeps getting better and better. And so that, that excites me a lot. Um, there is another question, and then we'll probably wrap it up. It says, how might HCD get applied to help students figure out their passion? experimenting with current rotations are an example of the test phase. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think one of the big uh, the big things that uh, TMI is trying to do and have been doing for a while and maybe not even realizing it um, is having a shared vocabulary when it comes to the design thinking process, right? So every teacher, um, even if they don't know that they're doing, you know, the ideation or the prototype phase or the testing phase, um, they, they've been doing it for five, 10 years now. I know Robert Friedrich uh, is a really good example of that, you know, listening and watching some of his classes. Um, he'll go through pretty much every phase of that uh, human-centered design process and then when we had a discussion about it, he was like, oh, yeah, that yeah, that makes sense. Like, it's one of those things that I think um, having everybody on 
bored with the same thing uh, and knowing kind of where everyone else is going helps. And also um, the fact that I know uh, TMI constantly looking at initiatives, like constantly taking a step back and reevaluating things like, uh, how is this going? It might be going great, but how can we make it better? This one thing isn't going as great. So what can we do um, to empathize, put ourselves in other people's shoes, uh, you know, students' shoes, faculty's shoes, parents' shoes um, to make their lives just a little bit better? And I think by doing that, we also open it up to um, to experiencing or our students experiencing um, uh, more of what they could be possibly passionate about if that makes sense, hopefully. It does, and I'm learning all this new lingo too. So sometimes Anne or Justin will say something, I'm like, uh, I don't know what that means. And then they'll say it, I'm like, oh yeah, that's what it is. Of course it is, I knew HCD. Um, here's another comment. Uh, we are new and this COVID situation is somewhat a block knowing better about school activities. We hear about motivating and challenging and how do we approach to share interests like sports, clubs, core or academic challenges? What is the pathway to approach and address parent concerns? And so, Anne, I'll let you address that, too. I, I guess what I would say if I'm understanding the question um, correctly is if there is any questions that you have, you certainly can reach out to and um, as the associate head of school, you can reach out to myself. Um, and, and if we don't have the answers for you, we're going to find the answers for you. Um, and we do want to hear from you as I, you know, I'm very excited about this kind of next phase of parent education, because while we've done events, we've we've um, shown movies and we've had extended lessons at school and we've brought in speakers and we've talked about um, grit and different things over the last, you know, six, seven years, but we really need to walk in this next step together. We, we, we need to partner with you. And I think sometimes people go, oh, partner with us, but it's true. You know, we need your support. We need to hear from you. We need um, you to understand what we're doing. Um, we can challenge the kids who need AP classes. We can challenge the kids who want honors classes. We can challenge the kids in a, in a variety. Um, it, it could be on, on the field. It could be on the court. But we really do need to be in this together. And um, like any good family, we might not always agree on everything. And we'll have to uh, do the agree to disagree sometimes. But we, we need to hear from you. We need your support. We want to support you. Um, we're all in this together to make outstanding human beings and servant leaders for life. And so um, please don't ever hesitate to reach out. Sorry, I was long-winded. Anne, do you want to add anything to that? I know that's a surprise. Tracy was long-winded. I was going to say, um, I think you pretty much covered it. The only, the only thing I would probably throw in there is if you are, if you just have some general concerns about how things are going for your kiddo, uh, another good person to contact would be their advisor because they're able to really quickly call information from their teachers, uh, coaches, things like that, in order to give you a, a quick little feedback if it's just a it's sort of a general, how's my kid settling in? But if it is something more serious, like, oh, I'm not sure about this class, and you've tried talking with the teacher and that hasn't done any good, if you wanna reach out to me, or if you're concerned about some social situations, if you reach out to Tracy, um, we will get you connected with the right adults. We'll get the answers and we'll help you work through that together. 
All right. So, well, I have run over and taken advantage of all of your time by a few minutes. So I want to say I hope you all have a wonderful Monday evening. Thank you so much for taking time to be with us and look for our next um, uh, parent ed, which will be on the um, uh, cherished component, challenge, cherished, and known. So our next will be on our cherished component. And we will have uh, Paul Kim, who is in the humanities department and he leads our equity task force. We will have both of our deans of students, that's Sherry Brown and Troy Eason. And we will also have Father Nate joining us. So we are gonna continue to do two sessions um, as much as we can. I believe that one is a noon and 6 p.m. So not really sure how my hair will look at that one, but um, we will be here. <laughs> Barbara, I see you shaking your head because you know me. Um, but we will be here for both of those. And again, um, on behalf of Justin and Ann and myself and, and everyone here at TMI, we thank you for trusting us with your greatest gift. And we look forward to many more of these discussions. And um, everybody have a good evening, a great rest of your week, and go Panthers.